Hello and welcome to episode 379 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. That's Ben Olson. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. Be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by visiting our website, thinkinglsat.com. You can share uh, news about law school admissions or ask us questions. This show is going to air on Monday, December 5th. Uh, that means that November 2022 scores just came out and the registration deadline for January of 2023 has passed. The next things that are on our radar uh, the January test is going to be released. The scores are coming out on February 1st. The next registration deadline is December 27th. That's the registration deadline for February of 2023. You can go to lsat.link forward slash dates if you want to see all of those registration deadlines and score release dates and all that stuff. Please come to our free classes uh, on Thursday, December 15th. I'm going to teach a class called Surrender to Win. These free classes are every other Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. You go to lsat.link forward slash Nathan if you want to sign up for that free class. Oh, before that, you're doing one on Monday, December 5th. You want to talk about your circle slash boot camp? Yeah, this is basically a games class. It's going to happen today. So if you're listening to the show the day this um, episode drops, then you might be able to make it. sign up for a free account. That's all you should need. You should be able to register for it right there at the last minute, right? Yep. Uh, go to lsat.link forward slash Ben to find my specific class. Have fun. Cool. Circle slash. Is that a type of game? Uh, no, it's just a method of solving some games. Is it better than in and out? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's not even something you could. How do you compare that? It's better than what the in out methodology? No. Well, it's Did like you, asking if a hammer is better than a screwdriver. Yeah. Or it's like asking whether a, a certain type of screwdriver is better than another certain type of screwdriver. Like they are tools that are used for related concepts. It, it's a it's a binary thing, right? When you do circle slash, it's like a switch is either on or off. Okay, so maybe I'll do circle slash. Circle means on, slash means off. On a different game, though, you might be putting things into two groups like fall and spring. Or you might be selecting or deselecting. If you're doing fall and spring, would you do circle slash on that? To be honest, I don't know, because here's the thing. I don't, this proves your point. I don't usually use circle slash. I'm doing this class just to say, hey, look, you could approach these games, which I've set up with an in-out setup using a different kind of setup. Yeah. I think that you will find that as you do logic games, circle slash is a useful tool in certain situations, in-out or just writing out groups and then making lists of variables is also a great tool in certain situations. There are situations where you could use either uh, equally well, but I think there are situations where one is going to be more efficient than the other. Yeah. I mean, it's the same as worlds, right? We create worlds on the basis of some variable or some rule and people are like, wait, could I have created worlds on the basis of this other rule? Yeah, you, you probably could have. In some cases, it makes no difference. Either one was great. In some cases, one rule is just more obviously easier and better and faster. Yeah. If you're not sure, you should try it both ways. I mean, get two pieces of scratch paper, not yep. during the actual test, but in your study, in your review, get two pieces of scratch paper and set up the game twice using, you know, 
using different worlds, different ways of doing the worlds, but back to the circle slash thing, like try it with circle slash and then try it within and out and see which one, you know, I think you might find that sometimes um, one's better. Sometimes the other one's better. Yeah. Anyway, that's cool. That's today. LSAT.link forward slash Ben. You got it. Highlights from today's show. What stuck out to you? The main thing that stuck out to me was Alabama's email invite asking people to apply without letters of recommendation or a personal statement. We've said it for years that those things are way less important than your GPA and your LSAT score. (laughs) And Alabama seems to just be admitting that. You don't even have to submit them. (laughs) Yeah. And a correspondent who got that email subsequently did apply and was admitted already with a 168 and a 3.56 and has gotten a full ride already to Alabama. Yeah. Yep. So this is real. They're out there. They're hunting. Um, boy, it'd be great if you applied a month or two ago because you'd already have your scholarship from this school. Uh, if you haven't already applied, I would probably recommend holding your application until September of next year for Alabama and wherever else you're going to apply. All right. Ready for the show? Let's do it. I think we talked about this, Ben, on the... LSAT Demon Daily podcast, but uh, there was news out of Wash U sent to us by a couple different people, uh, Jet and Abby, and then a follow-up related issue from Abby about the University of Alabama School of Law. Um, Have you had a chance to look at this thing about Wash U, or why don't you just take a look at it right now? Yeah, this email is a full image, huh? And it says, full tuition scholarships for low-income students. If your family income is below 200% of the federal poverty line, you will receive a full tuition scholarship. It's got an asterisk next to that. It says, find out if you're eligible. Okay. The financial need of all students will be considered in their scholarship award. Admitted students will discuss their priorities and goals for their customized scholarship award with a member of our team. Interesting. So they're offering full tuition scholarships to people who have low incomes. What do you think that means? Well, that's the question, right? What what does it mean? Um, the headline is, uh, and, and I think it's it's taken um, from students take it as, wow, this is that's a really great thing. That's so cool yep. that you're doing it. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree that it's a it's a good thing, but it's a good thing within the limitations of what it actually means. My first reaction to this is that they're going to be more careful in admitting people who are low income. Well, yeah. I mean, they have to admit you um, in order to, it's not like your low income also admits you to their school, right? So you have to get into their school and what are their admissions criteria? Well, LSAT and GPA and maybe some other stuff. And yeah, of course, they're not going to be likely here to admit these people who would automatically qualify for this and also lower the LSAT and GPA at that school. I mean, that's, that's, that's very unlikely that they would do that. So I I see what you're saying. What you're saying is potentially this could make it harder for low income students to get into the school. Yeah. Cause if I'm an admissions officer and I know that I'm going to have to give a full tuition scholarship to this applicant, Maybe I'm going to be a little more careful. That's possible. I also would encourage people to read the fine print. Yep. 
Did you read the first paragraph here of their? Uh, no. Where, where okay. are you looking? Well, no, in the it's still in the image. Did you say if your family income is below 200 yep. percent of the federal poverty line? Yeah. OK, we don't gloss over things like that. What is 200 percent your family income, 200 percent of the federal poverty line? Twice as much as the federal poverty line, whatever. That right. Is. So what's the federal? What is the federal poverty line? Yeah. Well, I Googled federal poverty line. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to just Google federal poverty line. Google wants my location when I ask that question. So I'm not sure <laughs> if it's well, because oh, it, it could be location yeah, dependent, right? It certainly I, could be. Yeah. That my, my my suspicion was that it matters and Missouri, by the way, is a very cheap place to live. So if it does vary state by state, then Missouri is going to be, um, you know, the federal poverty line would be lower. But OK, so what I'm seeing here is for a one person household, this is just the Google snippet for a one person household. The poverty guideline is thirteen thousand five ninety. Yeah, I see that. And you have for a family of two, a family of three, a family of four, it may depend on your location. That's probably why they have a link to an eligibility calculator, because this isn't just a simple number you yeah. have to figure out what it is. And it's a low number. I mean, 200% of that is 27000 a year. Right. So as a single person, if and by the way, your parents don't count, right? We The parents don't count for law school finance, for grad school financing. So if it's you... A young person going to law school, not married, no kids, two hundred percent of that federal poverty guideline for you is twenty seven thousand dollars. Yep. So, OK, this is a good you know, it's a good thing. It's like, well, or I don't know. It seems like a good thing. Well, they're committing to it and they're going to do it on. They're probably going to. Yeah, do it in some occasions on some occasions. Right. But, it seems great for the people who get it. Yeah. My question is how many people are getting it? Yeah. You know, and what type of person is getting it? Because, you know, how about what about a really wealthy kid? What about a really what about a wealthy 21 year old who has never worked? Sure. Sure. They're just looking at income, right? But not assets. And so your income could credibly be zero dollars. Yeah. And your parents have given you everything you have. Well, pay for but they just cut you off. Yep. You know, no, my income is zero. Like, I'm not going to show any income. Nobody's going to help me. I'm my so my income is zero, you know, and you're like um, <laughs> you went to Columbia and you got good grades and you crushed the LSAT. And so now you're going to qualify. I think you qualify under that this offering. Yeah, I mean, but. It still comes back to, okay, so you're basically saying if you meet this requirement, we're going to give you a full ride, okay, then the only way they can <laughs> prevent people from coming that they don't want to come is to just deny them. I, I think at the end of the day, they're still just going to give scholarships to people they want to give scholarships to. It does seem like this, again, it's good for the people who get it, but it very likely, or I don't know, I mean, we're speculating, but it just, your argument is sound that it certainly could influence them to keep some people out. But if you would have gotten a scholarship anyway, maybe those are the people who are going to get it under this program. 
Well, that's I mean, and that is my hypothesis. And I guess it's the same hypothesis, actually, that they this automatically it's it's one of those LSAT questions where we are redefining a term. Yep. You know, because this scholarship, they can say, oh, no, this is our full tuition scholarships for low income students scholarship. Yeah. It's not financial aid. They're saying it's scholarships, you know? Yeah. And so if you yeah, if you get it, I mean, yes, what I'm saying is it can turn. A significant percentage of your merit based aid that you're already giving out and WashU gives out a ton of merit based aid every year. It automatically redefines a bunch of that merit based aid as scholarships for low income students. Here's a strategy. Apply. Don't say that you have this uh, unless they require you to. But don't say you've met these requirements, this family income requirement. Get accepted. And then once you're accepted, you can say, oh, by the way, I meet this requirement. Now they're required to give you a full tuition scholarship. Well, so I guess that's actually the thing. So, yeah, I don't think that they are going to have your income when they're making the admissions decision. If they're not, then this this promise is got some weight, right? Well, or it has zero weight whatsoever because they can just give they can just admit the people who they want to admit anyway. Yeah, maybe it could become a reason not to give you a scholarship or at least a full one, right? Oh, oh but you're not you're not eligible for the low income full tuition scholarship implying that, oh, now you're not going to get a full tuition scholarship. Yeah. So because the rest of the thing, which we haven't read yet, but it says the financial need of all students will be considered in their scholarship award. Admitted students will discuss their priorities and goals for their customized scholarship award with a member of our team. (laughs) What that means is we're going to have a negotiation with you about your scholarship. Yeah. In a very... um Interesting negotiation because a lot of people in that conversation will not realize that they're negotiating. Right. Instead, they'll just be vomiting information. Right. I'm so lucky to be here. I oh, only applied blah, blah, to one yeah. school. Um, yeah. You're my number one choice. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, do, what do you need from me? Can't uh, wait to yeah. start. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, right. If you don't have any priorities and goals for the scholarships, then, you know, I guess it's, but it is nice then. So they're going to look at you if you have, if you have very low income or your parents are supporting you, (laughs) then you could like, you're going to automatically get this full tuition scholarship. I mean, they do have this asterisk here, right? And it links to this thing that says, find out if you're eligible. Maybe they do end up asking when it says your family income, maybe they're going to dig back into your family, which may include your parents, unless you're married or something. I mean, that's what FAFSA does. That's the norm in undergraduate financing. Right, but not for graduate school. It's not the norm in graduate school, but this isn't necessarily saying, hey, we're going to follow the grad program. Well, it's not merit-based aid, so they don't have to follow anything. Yeah. Right. So, okay, so we need to find out. All y'all need to find out for us. Ben and I are not applying to law school, so we're not calling WashU to ask them detailed questions about this. But could somebody please for us find out what does family income mean here? Are they counting your parents? If it's if it's just counting you. You know, like I just wanted to point out that those numbers are pretty damn low. If you're a family of four, you know, then the poverty guideline there is twenty seven seven fifty. So twice that. Yeah. 
is 55,000. If you're living off of 55,000 for a family of four, that's decently tight in the US in 2022. I guess it's just, it's not like, I mean, I'm sorry if you're, the poverty guideline is 27,750. 200% of that is 57, or sorry, whatever, 55. But it's still, what I'm saying is it's still like, wow, that's going to be hard to qualify for. Yeah. So either not very many people are going to take advantage of this, or a lot of people are because it doesn't look at um, parental income or anything like that. And you have a bunch of kids who are just out of school and don't make any money. If it's parental income, then you're not like nobody's qualifying for it. Very or few. it's going to yeah. make it a lot, a lot far fewer people are going to qualify for it if it's counting parental income. Anyways, our listeners will find out and they can um, just drop us a line on our website. thinkinglsat.com. We got a comment form there. It'd be great if you just fill that out for us. Thanks. Cool. This next email here is from Abhi. Is that right? So this was a follow up from Abhi. Um, said, your response reminded me to forward you this from Alabama as well. They offered a, quote, streamlined application by invite in which we didn't have to include letters of rec nor a personal statement. I assume <laughs> we were invited based on our LSAT. I was then admitted with a full ride based on my 168 LSAT from September and my 3.56 UGPA. Hope this helps others out there. I wonder if anyone else got this opportunity in the demon community. I wonder as well. Again, you can go to thinkinglsat.com and tell us if you got this offer. You want to read this letter from Claude at University of Alabama Law School? I do. Uh, I have a question in my mind right now, though, and that is, what does this say about their opinion of letters of recommendation and personal statements? It says that it ain't shit if you've got the right LSAT and GPA. Yeah. Isn't this just a school admitting, hey... These things are all over the place anyway. Yes. Personal statements can be bought and written by other people. Yes. So why are we looking at them? We really care about your numbers at the end of the day, and we're just going to straight up admit it to you. It's slowing yes. down people from applying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this yeah. Is a well, smart move. No, they, well, whether it's smart to like do it publicly, I mean, that's a, se- a separate question. But yeah, like as far as just being efficient in making your decision, Alabama School of Law, last year they received 1,528 applications and they ended up making 473 offers of admission for a final enrollment of 149. So you got to sort 1,528 down to 473 because two out of three people that you admit are going to walk away. You're admitting you're admitting one out of three people roughly who apply. Yeah. And then it's another one third attrition from there. How do you sort fifteen hundred applications down to five hundred applications? And what they're telling us here is that, hey, let's be honest, if you've got the right numbers, we're going to assume that you've got it. Like you've documented yourself to be good at school if you have a good GPA. And you've documented yourself to be good at tests if you've got a good LSAT. So if you're good at school generally and you're good at this one test that's specifically designed to see if you're good at law school. Yep. Well, then we're happy to. (laughs) Well, why don't you read this? It's a very generous offer. And then they pump they pump themselves up. Okay. 
So <clears throat> Claude writes, at the University of Alabama School of Law, great things are happening. Okay, cut that. That's a conclusion. Let's get rid yep. of that. Okay. We'd like to show you some of it. Or we'd like to show some of it to you. Cut that. <laughs> Oh, this is an email editing session. Good. The first step is for you to apply. Why is that the first step? <laughs> like, the, can you tell me about the school first and then I'll decide whether to yeah, apply? Yeah. Uh, you should date me. I'm a great person to date. I'll show you as we're dating. I'd like to show you the first step is. <laughs> I mean, okay. All right. Well, hey, Alabama, they know what they want. This is even more. Well, yeah, OK, it's applying. But I was going to say your analogy could go further. I mean, going to a law school is more than just dating. But anyways, um, it's like getting it's almost like getting married. When well, you yeah. apply, I mean, applying is like ask me to marry you. Ask, <laughs> ask like, me to marry. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Will you marry me? Yeah. No. Well, no, because Claude is not asking Abby uh, for Abby's hand in marriage, more like Claude is inviting Abby to ask for, Claude. ask for Claude's hand in marriage. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's the, the first, first step. step is for you to <laughs> ask me, do you want to get married? Because the next step is we're fucking married yeah. after that. I mean, well, they have to accept and then you have to turn around and accept. The yeah, it's a one third chance. It's a one third. Well, it's actually only a one in nine that Abby is going to end up marrying Claude even if Abby proposes. Okay. That's what we just looked at, right? Yeah, yeah. Claude gets 1,500 applications a year. That's 1,500 proposals. Claude accepts 500 of those proposals, and then only 150 of those actually make it down the aisle. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, fair enough. When you apply to Alabama law, we will streamline and expedite your Alabama application, waive your $45 CAS report fee and waive your law school application fee. Oh, okay. So they're waiving both. They're going to go ahead and pay LSAC. Yeah. That's the full goods. Like if you propose to me, I'm going to make it easy on you. I already got the (laughs) beach side. (laughs) It's already there. The roses and shit are all laid out. The photographer, I invited all your friends. They're here secretly. You don't even know. Yeah. And all you got to do is just ask me to marry you. Okay. In addition to your academic achievements, I'm sorry. In addition, your academic achievements indicate that you are competitive for scholarships if you are admitted. Now we have a whole linked sentence. Visit our streamlined application page for instructions on submitting your application. There you'll see that we have have waived the personal statement and letter of recommendation requirements and we'll give you a decision within 10 business days. Well, that kind of makes sense. If you're not going to have to read anything, all you have to do is decide based on the numbers. To receive your $45 fee, okay, here's how to get the fee waived, blah, blah, It's blah. a coupon code. Yeah. I mean, so they, so, you know, some, some schools are going to say, oh, well, you know, we don't do that. We can't do that. We have no ways of doing <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's not here's true. Here's a school that's giving you the code well, in an email, blast it out yeah, to many exactly. people. <laughs> exactly. This school, it's easy enough for them because they're fucking spamming out these codes to waive these $45 fees. It's interesting here. I mean, and, you know, I think that indicates that Abby is a strong candidate. Um, yeah, they, they've done that. But 
let me clarify to people listening now what's going on here. You have the fee that you have to pay the school when you apply, and you have a $45 fee that you have to turn around and pay LSAC every time you apply to a school. So when a, if a school's application fee is $75, well, you're really paying 120 because you got the 45 and the 75. So anyways, just keep that in mind. There's two fees and usually schools will waive their fee, but they won't waive the LSAC fee because they have to turn around and pay $45 right. to LSAC to cover that ridiculous fee. Right. It indicates that Abby is a really strong candidate. But remember, Abby got a 168 on the September LSAT and Abby has a 3.56. And so Claude knows that. I imagine that Abby checked the box. Yes, which you should when you sign up for the Credential Assembly Service. Uh, you got to sign up for that candidate referral service that they whatever. It's just allowing people like Claude to send you proposals or invitations to propose in this case. Mm. And uh, with those numbers, Claude, you know, is willing to generate one of these coupon codes in advance. Claude is saying, I mean, Claude knows how competitive of an applicant Abby is. And so Claude's rolling out the red carpet here for uh, please for Claude, just or for, ask for me. Abby. Just yeah. ask me to marry you. I'll make it so easy. That's what yeah. Yeah, Claude yeah. is saying. OK. And then Claude goes on to sing the praises of University of Alabama School of Law. Oh, yeah. Uh, here's a preview of some of the great things at the School of Law. Alabama is one of the top law schools as ranked by U.S. News and World Report. Um, what's its ranking? <laughs> Excellent question. I'm curious what they mean by top. Go into lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. Unfortunately, we still rank the schools by U.S. News rankings. Um, that's because everybody else does for now. Uh, searching for Alabama. Yeah. One of the top 25 law schools in the country. Okay. In other words, exactly number 25 in the country. <laughs> right there yeah. between George Washington University Law School. Oh, no, sorry. Tied with George Washington and Notre Dame. Okay. All right. Benefit number two of this great law school. Our low student faculty ratio... Just 6.1 to 1 means our students have great relationships with professors inside and outside the classroom. That does sound low to me. I have no idea what an average student-to-faculty ratio is, but... I mean, it almost sounds like a waste of resources, but... Okay. <laughs> yeah, how many people are running around there for the students? But anyways, Alabama law ranked ninth for percentage of 2021 graduates with federal clerkships, arguably the most prestigious jobs for law school grads, according to the American Bar Association. All right. Sounds good. We have excellent employment rates. In fact, 94.1% of the class of 2021 graduates were employed or were pursuing advanced degrees within 10 months of graduation. This sounds good. I don't know pursuing what that means. Pursuing advanced degrees? Hmm. What advanced? And like an LLM? Maybe an LLM, yeah. Or maybe they gave up on law and they're going to a master's program. <laughs> That's not good. And also, what is it? Uh, this might not be as good as it sounds. It says they were employed. Yeah, just employed. Not, they they like didn't say JD required. Starbucks is fine. Yeah. 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 So, okay. I would hope they're employed. Our alumni are located in 50 states and in other countries around the world. 
I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I'm just laughing at the construction there of and in other countries around the world. We're not going to give the number of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we do have one person in Toronto. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> OK. Alabama. Alabama law is consistently named, quote, best value law school by the national jurist. A best value law school. Oh, we sorry. don't know how many. Ooh, are did in I that say that? <laughs> I, I don't know. You might okay, have just skipped anyway. the A. Yeah. Okay. Last bullet point here. The school of law has a long-term commitment to public service. Okay. Self-proclaimed commitment with students engaging in more than fifteen thousand hours of community service last year. Hundred and fifty students in the class. Total of uh, 500, let's say, at the law school. No, sorry, 378 at the law school. 15,000 divided by 378. Yeah. I cheated. It's uh, 40 hours. Hmm. That's pretty good. Is that real? <laughs> what are they seems, doing? That seems pretty high. 40 hours. I mean, huh. Yeah, that's high, but I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, what are they qualifying as community service? Oh, uh, like... Does it count if you had an internship? Well, oh, had an internship at a law firm? Yeah, you're working in any public, you're working in a public service firm or something like that. Hopefully yeah. that, was, that type of shit doesn't count, does it? Oh, summer jobs. Yeah, there could be summer unpaid jobs. Community service. Sorry to be such, we're, <laughs> we're cynical dicks, Ben. Oh my God. But I'm All trying right. to imagine uh, law students doing 40 hours of community service. That's huge. I don't remember doing community service when I was in law school uh, or being asked to. I, I, did a, I did a citizenship thing where it was a clinic for people who were, who were trying to file like citizenship paperwork. Yeah. yeah. That was like a couple hours. Uh, yeah. Huh. I don't know. Okay. Well, anyways, um, Claude concludes, I look forward to seeing your application. Yeah. Well, okay. I, uh, I enjoyed that. That was fun. Thank you, uh, Abby, for sending that in. Yep. Nice to learn, learn about a new law school. Um, you know, seems like they're still out there playing the same old law school game. And um, that's as predicted, right? A bunch of top 14 schools have dropped out of the U.S. news rankings, which does not mean that they won't be ranked by U.S. news. It just means they won't participate in <laughs> the surveys. Let me know when law schools start behaving as if they aren't being influenced by the rankings. Yep. Pearls versus turds time. Let's do it. This one is from G. Okay. It says, good morning, Ben and Nathan. I started with a diagnostic of 142 and improved up to a 150 with about two months of studying with the Kaplan Test Prep 2022. I had pretty poor results. I discovered the Thinking LSAT podcast and quickly took a big swig of the Kool-Aid. After only a few weeks, I was purchasing oh, and purchasing the basic plan. I scored 163 on my most recent practice test. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. G continues, man, it helps so much to just read and understand the question. Who would have thought? And yeah, that's that really is the difference. We're about just understanding. So welcome. Quick pearls versus turds for you wonderful gentlemen. I'm a police officer and I was reminded of one of our driving principles for when we attend calls. Drive as slow as possible. As fast as necessary. 
What it boils down to is don't drive 150 miles per hour if the call you're going to isn't an emergency. I think it may be applicable to the LSAT. Complete the question as slow as possible to get 100% accuracy and as fast as necessary to get to as many questions as you can within your abilities. If I'm off, shred me on the pod. Keep on keeping on. G. What do you think for our police police officer friend G? Well, <clears throat> I don't want people focusing on the fast part and messing up the slow part. That said, some people, they do seem to get in their head too much. They slow down way. It's like they drink the Kool-Aid and don't even realize that, hey, you can, <laughs> you understand it. Now answer the question. So for those people, this could be helpful. Um, but I am worried about all the people who are just going to focus on the fast part. Or both extremes, right? I, I feel like this this advice could be misinterpreted to say, okay, so you're saying I got to go really slow and careful, but then I got to pounce, like be, be fast as possible. To It's almost as if like G wants you to do both. Well, I think G is inviting us to use our judgment and do what's best in the situation, which makes sense when you're driving to us you're, you're judging a bunch of things. How crazy is the traffic around you? How serious is the crime that you're responding to or the call, right? And they're saying, hey, look, don't just floor it all the time and don't just... Yeah. But so on the LSAT, I think G is trying to invite us to be smart, but I think the intention is good here. But right at the end of the day, you need to ho focus 100% on understanding and answering the question and slowly over time coming to a strong belief that that is the fastest way to finishing the test. It's when you don't believe that, that people make mistakes. They, they, they feel like, Oh, I gotta, I, I gotta do something here. It's like, no, no, you, what you have to do is understand it because that is going to be the fastest way out of that question. Cause once it clicks then the answer choices are going to go fast. And I think that's where people struggle the most. They don't believe yeah. it. Yeah. You go slow in order to go fast. They aren't two different things. You go yeah. slow because that makes the question easy. And when the question's easy, you saunter along to the next question because you have plenty of time. The, you saunter. Yeah. You go. Well, so here's the thing. G's driving analogy. If we extend it, then we see why it fails. Right. 100% G don't drive 150 miles an hour to a non-emergency. Yeah. But on the LSAT, they're all non-emergencies. And in your life, in your cruiser, I mean, your car goes 150 miles an hour and has flashing lights and a siren for a reason, which is sometimes it's an emergency and you have to decide whether it's going to be a, okay, somebody, you know, locked themselves out and they're afraid or whatever. And that, or, Okay, there's a guy with a gun. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely can't give this a pearl because I, I just we got to convince people that there there never is an emergency. Yep. The best Slow analogy. Smooth, yep. Smooth That's what I was going to say. Yep. Right. The the military one, it beats out this uh, the police one this time. I was watching the peripheral last night and they said that I was like, yes. 
<laughs> you love that show. I still haven't checked it out. Yeah, I do like it. Yep. Um, I awarded G a, a turd for that. Unfortunately, G, you sound like uh, you're working hard at the test and you're you're understanding it, but I'm never going to bust that one out in a class because I just <laughs> don't want I just don't want to ever tell people that there is such a thing as going as fast as necessary to get to as many questions as you can like that. I don't that's not I want you getting this one right. And then when you get this one right then you saunter to the next one and get that one right as well. And then you just do that until you run out of time. But there's never any racing or going fast or thinking about how many questions you're going to get to. Don't feel bad, G. Uh, the scoreboard now says 21 pearls, 69 turds, 26 ties. Most of the received wisdom that you will find out there in the world about the LSAT is wrong. At least according to me and Ben. Want to read this one from Olivia? Yeah, thank you for your content, first and foremost. In the short time I've known about you, I feel I've done pretty well from applying your tips, tricks, and nuggets of knowledge. Yeah, we wouldn't usually call them tips and tricks and nuggets of knowledge, but I guess that's a on double some alliteration. Level, double alliteration. What's an alliteration again? Tips and tricks. Nuggets of knowledge. Nuggets of knowledge. Oh, putting them together. Okay. Yeah. All right. I never did a full practice test on Laha before finding you, but I do know that my individual section scores were pretty shitty. If any three practice sections were combined, I'd be really surprised if they even hit the 150 mark. A couple of weeks with you guys in the basic program, and I'm at a 167. So I'm trucking along. Okay. Uh, I'll upgrade soon to shoot for those last 13. <laughs> All right. Nothing... Nothing wrong with being a little ambitious, I guess. I'm scheduled for the February test. Do I have to fill out a FAFSA to get scholarships? No. Do any hybrid programs offer full rides? I don't know. Do you? I don't know. You'd have to talk to the hybrid programs are so new that we can't just and there, I don't know of there is no such thing as like a standalone hybrid program, right? Or somebody who's gone all hybrid. I don't know if you wait, wait, depending on what. We just read about a school that's going all online, right? Didn't oh, yeah. There is an online only option, right? Yep. It, you're just going to have to ask. We're in a whole new world here. So find a program that you think is interesting and talk to them. Yep. Do any school offer scholarships to disabled students? I will not be disclosing it otherwise. What? A scholarship because you're disabled? I've never heard of that. Don't disclose it until you are already admitted and considered for a merit scholarship. You're at a 167. If you end up with a 170 something, you don't need to be trying to get a scholarship for disabled students. You need to be trying to get a scholarship for but I, I've never even heard law school students. I've never even heard of such a scholarship. Well, I'm sure that there are, you know, somebody founded a scholarship at some school. And th the answer is going to be yes. There are some of those, but they're going to vary school by school and they're going to be the, the important Small, point. Right? The, well, the headline is it's not fucking full rides that the law schools give out like candy already. Yeah. So like full rides and 50 percent plus scholarships that the law schools give out already when they offer. I mean, routinely, like yeah. offering 95 percent of their school might get some sort of a scholarship. So. Do that part first and then, you know, they're, the schools are always going to tell you that you 
could apply. We've got, you know, there's these other, oh, there's a whole binder worth of all these other scholarships that you can apply for. And with something like a disability, then you could go like hunt out those certain ones and you, you might find them may or may not, Mm. but yeah, don't disclose it until you're already have been considered for merit-based aid. All right. So we have Olivia continues education history, colon, ninth grade dropout, 3.09 GPA for a BSN, which is a bachelor's in nursing, a 4.0 for an MSN. I'm assuming that's a master's in nursing and a 4.0 for nurse practitioner. Okay. I won't accept less than a 175 on the LSAT. Would I need to hire to offset that shitty undergrad GPA to get any financial offers? Thank you very much for your wisdom. I truly appreciate it. Olivia. Well, uh, we would just look at the scholarship estimator to see what LSAT scores will lead you to full rides. Yeah. LSATdemon.com forward slash scholarships. Scroll down to the bottom. 3.09. Yeah, because that's what you're going to have to put in. Your 4.0 for your um, your master's and for your nurse nurse practitioner isn't going to help you. Yeah, 3.09, 175, and then you can check boxes for URM and or in-state. Um, I'm not going to check any of those boxes. I'm just going to hit update. Also, ninth grade dropout does not matter. That's not going to be on your record. Could be personal statement worthy, possibly. Just because this is an actual, like, you have so clearly, I'm not, not topic of the personal statement something that you might acknowledge in your personal statement or somewhere on your application because it's actually a feather in your cap. I mean, you're a fucking nurse practitioner now and you were a ninth grade dropout. That as a headline, I already know that you're a killer. Not that there's a headline on a personal statement. But what I'm saying is the obstacle has been so significantly overcome that it can be worth mentioning the obstacle. I think it's a feather in your cap because you got such a nice fucking cap. I think it would matter a lot to how you mention it. If you if you oversell it, I think it can fail. Yeah, you want to be humble about the way you put it out there. You don't like editorialize on it. But if you if you put it in there somewhere, I can see that one actually working. Yeah, now, if you're a, a ninth a grade brief dropout, comment. Yep. Like ninth grade dropout and then haven't done anything since then, you know, or like um muddled along finally graduated from undergrad. Yeah. Don't really have any impressive professional experience to speak of. Then I wouldn't bring up the ninth grade dropout because it's just like, I don't see how it's helping you. It's reinforcing the image that you've created currently. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. yeah. But because you're going to show up with this, like, I mean, RN and nurse practitioner, that's like, okay, I see you as you're a doctor. I wonder why the hell you're wanting to go to law school, but that's a separate issue at that point. You know, I mean, I could even see crafting it in such a way that it explains why you're going to law school now, right? Like here's what I overcame and I became a successful physician or successful nurse practitioner. And I blah, blah, blah. Don't say why you don't like your practice, but instead say that experience is why I'm going to law school now. Yep. This is what I'm going to do with it. Not everybody can write a personal statement that looks like that, but I think you have the opportunity potentially to do it. Anyway, scholarship estimator. See any good schools? Oh, I didn't do it. What'd you find? Well, Olivia, how do you feel about the Midwest? 
You get a full tuition scholarship at University of Iowa College of Law. That's ranked 28th in the country. You know, I'd be surprised um, if you do get that 175 University of Alabama School of Law. We were just talking about them. They're ranked 25th yeah. in the country. The scholarship estimator says more than half. More than half can sometimes be significantly more than half. So that would be worth checking out. Even higher ranked than that, Wash U in St. Louis, which we also talked about earlier this show. More than half um, at Wash yeah. U. Yeah. I imagine as a nurse practitioner, you and your family are probably not going to qualify for the income based scholarship. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to give you a merit based scholarship anyway. Yep. USC, University of Minnesota, Florida, North Carolina, BYU, all those are saying more than half. The full tuitions are down around 30th, George Mason, 30th, Ohio State, 37, Wake Forest, 43, Indiana, 45, Arizona, 47, Florida State. I mean, it's just all over the country. Yeah. So what was the question? Uh, would I need higher? To offset that shitty undergrads GPA, would I need higher than a 175? I mean, we can bump it up and see if it changes. I don't think it's going to change it significantly. I mean, let's go all the way up to 180. Yeah, I mean, now it's saying full full ride at Wash U, full ride at Florida, full ride at BYU, full ride at Alabama, Iowa. With Iowa, you already were getting a full ride. So it added like four or five full ride estimates. Wait, it's saying it bumped full UCLA ride for to a more than half. You? I'm having still more than half. You did to 176 or what? Would no, I go? did it to 180. I went all the way up oh, to 180. You went I all wanted to see what the most like. What's her upside if she if she does oh, go all the yeah, way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Cool, Olivia. Again, that's lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships, and all y'all should just go there and play around with it to your heart's content because we don't know exactly what your numbers are or where you live or whatever. You, you need to do this for yourselves. So lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships and send us feedback on that tool, by the way, if you'd like to, uh, there's a, in the upper right hand corner, there's a thing that says learn more. And there you can read all about how we, uh, do the methodology. And if you want to send us uh, feedback on that, we'd appreciate it. Yep. Perfect. You want to read this, uh, email from Allie? Yeah. Or is it me? It's you. I can read it. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I graduated in May 2022 and have been studying for the LSAT since mid-September with The Demon. My score started out horrendous, but since September, I've been able to perfect logic games and I recently started learning LR and RC. Oh, interesting. Uh, Sounds like you just focused on the games. I wouldn't do that normally. Glad you perfected games, but... You know, if I was ever going to do it, that's how I would do it, I guess. Like some people have so far to go on the games and they don't have any if you don't have any test date in mind and if you have unlimited time, I guess I can see some value in going all in on the games. Lock Just that because down that's, and it's different, right? Continue studying it, though, right? Once you turn your focus to LR and reading, right. talk, you're not going to stop doing games. Right, right. Yeah. Hmm. Just the thing is, games are different. Games is the section where we say you know, you really should be perfect there. Like you should get to perfect. Yeah. If you're really going to follow our advice, you need perfect logic games. And it, and it might take a lot of work. Like it might take a year of work. I mean, it doesn't take most people that long, but it does take some people that long. So, and you know, if you've got that work ethic, that's a good indication that you're a lawyer. And so 
take all the time in the world to perfect the games and then do the other stuff. I, I don't totally hate it. My score is still nowhere where I would like it to be. So while I study, I'm working 28 hours a week at an immigration law firm. I love that. That seems perfect, actually. It does seem perfect. Two extremes are working full time plus, right? Working crazy hours uh, versus not working at all. Neither of those seem to be great for optimal studying. We this should start awesome. encouraging people to do that, actually. I mean, I we hear so many people who have like <laughs> these insane jobs. I mean, to me, 40 hours a week is already just like uncivilized. I, I don't I just don't think humans should be especially in an office that many hours a week. But putting that aside, um, we have, you know, students have jobs like that and then also have overtime weekends, unpredictable shifts, like being called Commuting, in at all hours, all that stuff. Oh my yeah. God. Commute. And then pile on kids and school and family obligations and all kinds of stuff on top of that. It's just too much. Um, the flip side of that, we have students who have zero job, zero kids, zero school, zero obligations, and all they do is study LSAT. And we hate that, too. Yeah. Because those students tend to drive themselves insane, burn out. Yeah. Uh, like halfway in between where you have a job, you know, you're going to learn about immigration law. You're going to learn about this firm. You're going to develop some connections. You're going to learn a bit about law more broadly. And that's excellent. You're still going to have plenty of time to study LSAT. You can do an hour or two a day and feel good about your life and probably still have time for, you know, a walk or a workout once in a while. <laughs> it's like a, it's a life that you can actually like sustain. Yep. All right. So all y'all out there, if you're considering getting a job, consider getting a part-time job. What, how many hours would you recommend? 28 sounds pretty good. I would say this sounds about right. Somewhere around yeah. there. 20, maybe, to, maybe fewer. 20, yeah. to, 20 to 30, somewhere in that range. It depends on the job too. And it depends on your commute and like some jobs you're really out of there, right? When it's over, uh, some jobs go home yeah. with you. Yeah. 15 could be okay. I mean, like if you got a job also, that was, <laughs> you got to make enough to like not be stressed about money. Too. Well, yeah. I mean, of course, putting the money stuff aside. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying I'm not talking about magic. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have been applying for a job here. I'd like to work here 10 hours a week. Um, that's what I'd like to do. Thank you very much. <laughs> Next. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of that, um, we are actually hiring at LSAT Demon. I don't know how many hours we're looking for, but we need help in customer service. Uh, Knowledge of thinking LSAT podcast, LSAT Demon Daily podcast, LSATdemon.com, uh, strongly preferred. And it's a part time freelance gig hourly. And I don't, I think it's, I actually think that is totally flexible. Yeah. Um, if you're interested yeah. in that, email the help team. They're the ones who are going to be hiring you. So be nice when you uh, email them. Help at LSATdemon.com and uh, you could help our help. Cool. Um, Ali continues. So 28 hours a week at the immigration law firm. Allie continues, I graduated from college with a 3.82. And during college, I was in two, two clubs and worked two jobs. OK, now that I have graduated and I'm working basically part time, 
I feel like when I apply to law schools, they will not see anything special in my application. Oh, boy. I feel like I'm not doing anything impressive enough to get into a T14 school. Ben, would you like to assuage Ali's fears here? Yeah, don't worry about it. It's going to come down to your GPA, which is solid. It's not the best, but it's solid. And um, your LSAT score. That's what it's going to come down to. And in fact, if you go in search of other activities in an effort to make yourself more attractive to these law schools, you may end up hurting the one thing that you have control over now, which is your LSAT score. Yeah. Um, LSATdemon.com forward slash scholarships. You can use this as an admissions kind of predictor as well, right? I mean, we're estimating your scholarships, but if you look and a school is likely to give you some money, then that might mean that they're also likely to admit you. There's plenty of top 14 schools here that would offer you less than half or even Berkeley, Michigan, Duke, Northwestern, Georgetown, all of those schools say more than half with a 175. So not only can you get into law schools with a 3.82 or top 14 law schools with a 3.82, but you can get in and get scholarship money. You should be able to with a 3.82 and a 175. You just can't bury your head in the sand. You do have to go get that 175. Yeah. I mean, focus on your job. That's a great opportunity to write about in your personal statement. It's also good for the connections that you were just talking about, Nathan, and understanding what you're getting involved in and then focus on your LSAT. That's it. Focus on those two things. Don't, don't try to join another club and not that you would now that you're out of college, but I don't know, whatever you're seeking, but you know, you don't you need to go have, seek. Okay. But those clubs, like just not, not to beat up Allie, but for, you know, Allie three years ago, when she was considering joining that second club, I have a feeling that Allie was like considering her application prospects down the road. Very possibly. And maybe not and law you, school, but like, oh, I just, you know, this is good for my resume sort of thing. And my point is those two clubs and two jobs might have been what kept you from a 3.92 or a 4.0. And that was the lever that really mattered during undergrad. So you did all this other stuff during undergrad that doesn't really help you that much. Like you're acknowledging that I don't feel like this makes me special in my application. Well, that's right. It doesn't, but nobody's special. The numbers are the things that are going to really move the needle. So don't make that same mistake now, Allie. Don't get so caught up in all this other stuff. You know, you don't feel you're doing anything impressive enough. Well, what's going to impress those schools is your dedication to the LSAT and getting the number that is going to, you know, actually get you into that conversation. But what Allie does instead is what too many students, too many applicants do. They go, I already feel like my work schedule is sufficient with the time that I also need to study. So I don't want to get another job like Ali's actually considering getting another job here, Ben. Yeah. Nope. While studying for the LSAT because she thinks that that job is going to make her look better to law schools. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this and I think it's coming from the undergrad application experience. It's going to make you look worse to the law schools because it's going to negatively affect your LSAT. And that's the only thing that matters. They, yeah. It's not the only, I don't want to, I can't say that. It's not true. Other things matter. They just don't matter as much. The LSAT's the thing that really matters. And astronomically so. Yeah. But, but Allie, 
acknowledges that I need time to study, so I don't want to get another job. But do you recommend that I start engaging in activities like volunteering or joining nonprofits? No, I'm I'm a part no. of some community groups like the adult swim team. But is, but is that something I can show in my application? Will they even care? Nope, they won't. <laughs> they only will when you're being compared with someone else who has the exact same LSAT and GPA as you. And even then, how much is being part of the adult swim team going to push the needle? It's or not. any we talk of about these the, things. We talk about second these job. ideal scenarios where the numbers are the same, but in most cases, the numbers aren't the same, even just a few points. They're not. That, they're never going to be the same because <laughs> in a different world, Allie, you know, cuts down instead of adding a second job, she cuts down from 28 hours a week at her current job to 20 hours a week at her current job. And she gives the LSAT a little bit more attention. And she gets one more point. And she that's gets a big, one more point. <laughs> that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And that one more point, as we have seen over and over and over, seriously impacts those schools when you're at their margin. When you're at their margin, yeah, that's the difference between being accepted or being at, at, not accepted. At their, at their median is yeah, their yeah. margin. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At their median, that's the number that they really care about. Oh, boy. Um, Allie, I really think you're going down the wrong road here by thinking about your your holistic application instead of like focusing on the most important element, which is the LSAT. Yeah. Hey, I was saying this earlier, but it's just because I'm going through it with my oldest son. The schools can't stop talking. And I'm talking about undergrad schools here. Can't stop talking about, oh, your high school activities, your high school clubs, all this extracurricular stuff. Whether they actually look at that is another issue, but they can't stop talking about yeah. it. So I imagine a lot of people get into college and say, oh, I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm going to do it right this time. And I'm going to do everything I can in college to have all these extracurricular activities. And it's like, well, at least for law school, what matters is the yeah. classroom. Yeah. Law schools do that too. I mean, they yeah. don't do it. I don't think to the extent that undergrad schools do, but yeah. the law schools, they like, they're so interested in convincing you that you're not, that they're not all about the numbers that they go on and on and on about all this other bullshit. But then they demonstrate again and again in their actual admissions decisions, how yep. interested they are in the numbers. Yep. So don't be fooled. Stay focused on you know, even if all of these other things matter somewhat, the LSAT is so much more important than all of those things that the right LSAT can just negate all of those concerns. I mean, easily in our, in our previous discussion about Alabama, Alabama is like, yeah, we don't even look at that other stuff for certain applicants. Yep. You got the right LSAT and GPA. We're about to admit you and give you a scholarship before we even like we don't we don't even we're not going to read a personal statement. We don't want letters of recommendation. I think we've driven this home, but I want to give you a, a, th a thought experiment, Nathan. Okay. Imagine that you're applying to a school and you have a resume and on the resume you have, you know, adult swim team member, um, some <laughs> other volunteer activity, right? I, go, I give you. Uh, cool. I give you the opportunity to take one of those things off. Now you can't talk about that anywhere ever. It's gone. But in exchange, you get one LSAT point. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. How no, many things are you going to take off? All of them, right? Every single one of them. Yeah, I like boom, boom, boom. Don't nope, didn't have that job. Did not start that you know club on campus. 
Yep. Don't care. <laughs> nope. Give me a point for that and a point for that. And yeah, that's cool. All right. I think we're good for Allie. You want to read yep. this one from Anonymous? The subject is law school admissions questions message. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm applying to law school next cycle, and I have a question that I believe is unique. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> After graduating high school, I enlisted in the Navy. I was only in the Navy for around six weeks when I was, when I was separated due to severe anxiety, a severe anxiety issue that I developed from basic training. Does separated mean like discharged? Yeah, probably. Okay. This anxiety led me to have, oh, led me to having suicidal thoughts. I understand Thanks. that as part, yeah, that sucks. I understand that as part of the law school admissions application, as well as for the bar in the future, I will be asked questions about my character and fitness. Okay. I don't know that you have to, I don't think they're going to ask you whether you've ever had suicidal thoughts. Maybe they'll ask you why you were discharged. That would be interesting. I have no history of mental illness and I have had no such issues since being separated. Do you anticipate this as an issue that will be a roadblock for me in my legal education? This is a question that has been bothering me for some time. Over the last year, your podcasts have answered several questions for me and I really appreciate this. Thank you, Anonymous. Um, if you are asked why you separated from the Navy, then I think you might need to disclose this. But if you kept it factual and said you've had no mental health issues before or since, I just don't see this being an issue. Yeah, according to uh, military.com, separation is a general term that includes discharge, release from active duty, release from custody and control of the armed forces, transfer to the individual ready reserve, and similar changes in active or reserve status. So that that separation, I mean, I, I wonder if that's a <clears throat> euphemism there for discharge. Like yeah. if if uh, and not that I even know what discharge means, but I can see how that sounds bad. There's probably d several different kinds of discharges. But you got to lawyers are driven by evidence anonymous. So you got to like look at, I mean, if you're going to ask and, and we're not the right people to ask for advice, the right people to ask for advice. What do you think, Ben? State bar attorneys that you might know in your state call around yes. to ask a couple law schools. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think you got to do your due diligence and ask those questions, but I'm struggling to see how this is going to end up being super serious. I just, it, one, I'm not even sure you're going to be asked about it. And if you are, you had anxiety. Yeah. Do you, I guess you don't have to list that you were, I mean, you were only in the Navy for six weeks. Maybe you just don't even put that on your law school application. That's what I'm wondering is, is this ever even going to be asked about? I would call the bar. Doesn't hurt to talk about it with somebody. I think you got to call the state bar because on a school application, I can see how you might get away with just like, I just, you just don't put it on your resume. Then how do they know that you were ever even in the Navy? And they never ask about it. Yeah. You don't have any other documented history of mental illness, but if there was like an event related to this and it's on your Navy record, I mean, you're not getting letters of recommendation from them. Yeah. It's hard to see how that's going to ever come up, but I would call the state bar and ask them for sure.
yeah, ask them and figure out if there's anything we're missing here. But yeah. even if it did come to light, it's like, okay, I had anxiety. I haven't had anything since. Well, and and make sure that you you relate that anxiety to like intense shit that you went through in basic. Yep. Right. Like it, it was like the guns. I couldn't do it or whatever <laughs> it was, you know? Yeah. I think people will understand on some level. Of like, course oh, they will. Yeah. That's, yes. that's hard shit on. So, okay. Yeah. That wasn't for you. That's why you're now pursuing law. Let's move on. Yeah. But ask, ask, figure it out. Maybe there's ask something the we're missing just here, but I don't character see it. and fitness down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kiana says, hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm a relatively new mom to a one-year-old, a wife and a recent veteran. Although I've worked under a military lawyer before, I'm not sure if it's the same as civilian lawyers, so I can't gauge whether I'd fit in. Um, it's the same. It's the same shit, especially if you might do military law somehow, which would make sense because you're a recent veteran. I'm an avid listener of LSAT Demon. I've concluded I need your opinions to solidify what path I should take. With a lot on my plate already, I've managed to make some room to take on another challenge. However, I can't tell if I'm in over my head. My diagnostic is a 131. I'm wondering if I should prep to write the LSAT in March and apply to school in June. Oh my God, that's way too late to be applying to law school, especially starting with a diagnostic of 131. Or... If I should test in May or June and apply in September to start school in 2024. Yes, if well, kind of. I'm a shit test taker overall, but I'm willing to put in the work and sign up for an LSAT demon course to gain a better understanding of the LSAT because I feel lost. Thanks in advance, Kiana. So a lot of people start this journey in the 140s. They take a cold diagnostic and they get something in the 140s. Sometimes they get something in the 150s and we are um, impressed and say, hey, that's a great starting score. Good luck. But when you start in the 130s or the 120s, it's likely that you're going to have a rough road ahead of you. So it doesn't mean you can't succeed. We have seen people who score in the 130s and end up in the 160s, even in the 170s. So it's not in, well, have we seen the 170s? I don't know if we've seen that. From the 130s? But, well, yeah, yeah, 139 to 171. But yeah. 131 to 171, yeah. now you're talking about a 40-point improvement. We've literally never seen it before. Yeah. So it can be done. I would just hate for you to spend a lot of time and money on something that may not be your cup of tea. I would prefer that you start with Demon Free yep. and see if you can get this up at least to the high 130s before you pay for anything. Yeah. I mean... Rather, you know, I wouldn't look at the scores that much. I I would do demon free. I would do every last bit of it. There's two and a half tests in there. There's hundreds of videos and written explanations. Um, never expires. But I think, you know, if you work at it, you should be probably exhausted all of the questions within something like two weeks, maybe a month. Yeah. What I would be looking for is are you feeling the click where you go, oh, yeah, I was totally not understanding that question. And now I totally do understand the question, because my only comment about a 131 and Ben already said something similar. 
I just want I, I want you, Kiana, to understand that if you're getting a 131, you're understanding almost nothing about the individual questions that you're doing. And you can instantly increase your score into the 140s if you would simply do fewer questions, but get them right. And yep. I know get them right sounds like um, magical, you know, like that. But but you need to be able to read the easy ones and get them right. The easy ones tend to be at the beginning of each section. And if you can get like the first eight or 10, you would immediately be in the 140s. So focus on the understanding as you work through all of our free materials. And if you find that you're like, are you confident on some of the questions? You have to get to the point where you can be confident on some of the questions. And by confident, I don't mean 75% confident. I mean, 99% confident and like getting them right. Like, can you get the first five in a row right at the beginning of a section? The easy ones. Yep. Because if you can't get the first five right, maybe not today, but like in a couple of weeks, if you can't get the first five in a row right, then you've got like a real uphill battle ahead of you. And yeah, I wouldn't like I just wouldn't feel great about taking your money. Let go of specific timelines, Kiana, like certainly do not take the LSAT in March and apply to law school this June for this fall. That's yeah. You're way you're thinking way, about way. the deadline. It's not yeah. about the deadline. It's about the opening line. Is that, is that our students that? are already weighing? Date. Yeah. Well, our actual like the people who have followed our advice today is November 29th. The people who have followed our advice are currently weighing multiple scholarship offers and waiting to hear back from other schools that they applied to as well back in September. And that's the position that you want to be in next November. A year from today, you want to be, oh, I've got this offer and that offer and this offer, and I'm waiting on these other seven schools. So don't do it the way you were originally planning. I do think that you should be looking at a September application, September of 2023, to start school in September of 2024. But I don't think you should be anchoring yourself on the May or June test. Law schools only care about your highest score. You're allowed to take it multiple times. You should be getting ready for the test via practice tests. And if you end up signing up for the demon paid subscription. We have all of them, but your practice test scores will lead you to knowing when you're ready. Not, not before. So wait to sign up until you get the practice scores up there, like significantly up there, like in the one fifties or, or higher, then start looking at actual dates and plan on taking it multiple times to make sure that you get a number that's going to reflect your actual ability. Yep. Anything more for Kiana? Uh, it's also just not about getting in, right? Go to lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships and figure out what LSAT score you need to start going to places for free that you're willing to go to. Ex-military might have military benefits that are going to pay for law school anyway, but all the better if you can get a tuition scholarship from the law school and save those military benefits for your kids. Very cool. Okay. Anonymous writes... Uh, this is the subject line. Do the 509s overestimate the amount of aid you'll get? Hmm. Okay. Why? It is my understanding that the 509 reports show the stats of enrolled students and not the stats of students offered admission. True. 
If true, would that mean that the scholarship numbers on the 509 are probably skewed towards higher offers since people are more likely to accept large offers versus small ones? Maybe. Uh, I understand. Yeah. I mean, money is meant to, the money's there to motivate people. Yeah. So if you had two people who had a 3.5 and a 170 um, and one of them got slightly less money, the person who got more money would seem more likely to accept, although maybe they are given more money because they also thought they might go somewhere else. I don't know. Um, possible. For example, if a law school with a 20% expected yield offered a thousand students admission for their class of 200, Okay, so 200, yep, got it. Then they offer 100 of them a full ride and the remaining 900, they offer zero aid. Let's say that 50 of the full ride candidates accept the offer and 150 of the 900 take the zero aid offer of admission. Well, these are really extreme uh, yeah. opposites, <clears throat> but okay. But I'm following, yeah. The 509 would show 25% or 50 out of 200 of the class that had a full ride. But in reality, only 10% of the offers of admission came with a full ride offer since the different aid offers had different yields. Well, yeah. Okay, this means that applicants would need to be in the top 10% of admitted applicants to get a full ride and not the top 25%, which the 509 alludes to. Is there any way around this problem? apply to multiple schools. I mean, I think that's maybe the thing that the thing that anonymous is potentially missing here is that if you apply to 10 schools, then you give yourself 10 chances. And from that perspective, the 509s might actually underestimate the offer that you're going to end up taking if you're really motivated by money that way because you only have to take one offer. So the same thing works in the exact opposite way. If you're following, I'm not following. Why would it, why would it, you're still going to take the highest offer you were given. I know, but it's not like the, 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 the applicants are so linearly ranked against one another, right? They're, I mean, LSAT and GPA does control things, but different schools treat LSAT and GPA differently. Mm -hmm. Different schools are also going to be looking for certain things at certain times. I don't know, but, you know, it's not like LSAT and GPA is literally everything. There's there's other factors that can contribute sometimes. And so what I'm saying is you don't just have one shot at it. If you had one shot at it, then, yeah, that's the math. But you have 10 shots at it. And so your odds, because you're only going to take one offer, your odds are actually better than that. I do agree with that. I, I'm not even sure that this analogy or this example is very helpful because in my mind, the schools are what, what the 509s show is that they did pay that much for applicants who had those numbers. Yeah. That's the reality at that school. That's the reality at that school. And so, yes, maybe they admitted a hundred people within a certain score range, right? A certain index number maybe, but a certain LSAT GPA range. Let's say they under they offered 100 uh, offers of admission to those people, to or 200 people. And yeah, maybe there were slightly different amounts of scholarship money that were offered, but I th don't think they're going to be significant. And even if, even if the people who were offered more money did end up getting accepted, 
The point is, is that the school paid that amount for those people. And so maybe the message here is also whatever offer you get, if that doesn't line up with the estimator, you should be asking yeah, for you, more money because yeah, somebody go got school. in. <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't go or, I mean, well, first, <laughs> ask for more money. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, but you just don't take that. You know that that's a bad offer. And the thing, so yeah, this is an extreme example from Anonymous, you know, like 50% are getting a full ride and then, or sorry. 10%, yeah. What is it? Oh, 100 of 1,000. So 10% of them get the full ride offer. 90% yeah. don't get any offer. But you're not part of that 90% anyway. Who gives a shit? Like you're not applying. I mean, if you're applying to a school with numbers that are way below their medians, then yeah, you're part of that 90% in your simple game here that aren't going to get an offer. But if you choose the schools that you're applying to wisely, then you're actually going to be part of the 10%. Yeah, this is why I think you have to focus on the LSAT and GPA because those are, <laughs> that's what determines. Yeah, you're, you're like assuming that all students have an equal chance of getting admitted. Yeah, and that's the thing I really want to I mean, <clears throat> I, I still believe the stuff that I said earlier, but I think the more important thing to think about is simply you're going to be playing the game in a much smarter way than all of the people who are applying and getting denied or, you know, in your example, there's a thousand people who are getting admitted, but 900 of them are getting zero dollars. You're not going to be part of that 900 very often because you're going to be choosing schools wisely to apply to. Yeah. And and. <laughs> It's also it's it's a curve anyway. It's not this all or nothing full ride or zero like there's there are lesser offers which are still going to be, you know, worth considering. I've been meaning to say this on the show. I mean, we always say don't pay for law school at the end of the show, but don't please don't take that so extremely that you are insisting on paying zero dollars full stop. I mean, look at the offers. Yeah. There could be offers that are less than full ride that are still going to qualify in under our definition of, you know, don't pay for law school is a, is a lot neater than saying, you know, don't pay more than you need to pay in order to go to the law school you want to go to or, or whatever. But what we mean is play this scholarship game and get yourself the best deal you can possibly get. Well, yeah. And in reality, when you don't pay for law school, you're still paying fees. You're still paying for your life. There are other costs yeah. associated with going to law school. So yes. we're, we're, we're never talking about a total <laughs> cost of zero. But I think it's a good presumption because most people are going to err in the wrong direction. Yeah. Right. They're going to get a half tuition scholarship and they're going to be jumping up and down with enthusiasm. And it's like, mm, look at yeah. all the other offers that are being given to the students at that school and realize how not so great that is. They're going to apply to Wash U. They're going to get in, they're going to get, they're going to have a sit down conversation with the admissions office. Yep. They're not going to qualify for the income based scholarships. And then they're going to make the bad decision of not asking for money. Yeah. Now that school, you know, they're likely to just offer you money anyway, because that's what they've done in the past, but, but they're not going to some... offer you what they're willing to pay. Right. They're going to offer in, you what they think you're willing yep. to accept. That's a different in, thing. <laughs> in anonymous's example here. Yeah. yeah they're going to offer 900 people admission with no scholarship, hoping that 150 of the 900 take, take the offer. And some people do, and they're enthusiastic. They're like, yeah. I just wanted to get in. Yep. 
And what we're trying to say is don't just want to get in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's finally going to get your rich parents off your back and they're happy to pay for it, then fine. That's a different thing. But speaking to, you know, people who are going to be financing law school themselves. Yeah. The rest of humanity. Okay. <laughs> you yep. need to negotiate. You, you need to play the game wisely. So apply early, apply broadly, apply with your very best LSAT. Then once the offers are coming in, then decide and negotiate and get yourself a really good deal. Yep. Question from Fong. Fong says, hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm an international applicant who finds your podcasts extremely helpful as I continue for my LSAT prep after a short break. I'm currently minus two or minus three for logical reasoning, and I'm trying to aim for minus zero. Do you think that's a feasible goal? If so, what are some strategies you'd recommend? Thank you, Fong. Uh, yes, that's feasible. Okay. If so, what are some strategies you'd recommend? Anytime you get a question wrong, you need to unpack it and understand it. That's not true for some people who are scoring much lower than you, right? Or even just a little bit lower than you. Sometimes these questions, you just need to let them go. They're too one-off. Well, too... until you get to 160, 165, then yeah, there are a few like the really hardest hard ones yeah. where you shouldn't even be getting there. Right. Like, you know, um, unless you know, maybe you have double time or something, then, you know, you could get to these questions that are beyond your level, but normal timed students, if you're not scoring one sixty, you need to be leaving lots of them blank at the end of the section. And, and not even worry about them after the test. But Fong here is down to minus two or three, which means he or she understands exactly what's going on for most of logical reasoning and just needs to continue seeking out things that don't make sense and make sense of them. Yeah. If you're attempting all 25 questions, but you're getting minus two or minus three, um, I wonder if you stopped trying to finish the sections. You know, it really depends. I, I would like to know. I'd like to be able to talk to Fong. So a strategy that I would recommend is you do one month of LSAT Demon live. Um, it's a $295 investment. Come to some classes, talk to me, talk to Ben, talk to our teachers. Uh, because we want to we want to figure out exactly which ones you're missing and why you're missing them. Um, it might be that you're perfect through 22 questions and you run out of time. If so, you know, you just got to kind of keep doing what you're doing and get better and better at the questions. Yeah. But you're and I'm great at finding the right answers. I would add to that. If you end up getting live and joining the demon drill, because the drilling algorithm is going to figure out you're pretty good at this pretty quickly. And it's yeah. going to give you more hard <laughs> questions than you would encounter if you were just doing a time. Yeah. Search. Yeah. And for that, you don't even have to do the live subscription. I mean, you could do the basic subscription for $95 and just drill logical reasoning, you know, for months. But I, I would recommend talking to people if you can. I, I don't think you need one-on-one -on -one tutoring. I think that Demon Live is way, way cheaper. This Demon Live, people think it's expensive at $295. It's so much cheaper than your private tutor. And we're better than your private tutor. Yeah. Like you, you get you get a dozen tutors that are all better than your private tutor if you do LSAT Demon Live. Yep. Um <laughs> I know five, that that's a, five hours a day <laughs> for a month. It's a crazy claim to make, but I'm pretty confident that that's the case. 
If we didn't train them, then I don't really vouch for their LSAT abilities. I've just seen way too much crazy bullshit out there about the LSAT. Yeah. I know that there are exceptions to that, but you're probably not listening to the show. Um, <laughs> to aim for minus zero, I would first aim for minus one. Or like, yeah, I, I would I would aim for minus two and then I would aim for minus one. Would you even aim for those? Or just well, continue wouldn't. to focus on getting every question you attempt yeah, right until you do. Exactly. It's always the goal is always minus zero on the one question I'm working on right now. That's it. Yep. Always. But but like so I just don't want Fong to think that there is some magic trick that, you know, that's this is what takes you from minus two to minus three all the way to minus zero. This one crazy trick will do it. Well, yeah, the one crazy trick is don't miss the question that you're doing right now. <laughs> never miss the one that you're doing right now. That's what it takes to get minus zero. So you've got to dig in there and, you know, potentially I think our explanations and I think our teachers, like they will help you a lot. Um, come ask us questions. I think you got a good chance at it. Yep. Cool. Thanks, Fong. You want to read this thing from Carl? It's accompanied by tables. Yeah. Okay. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I love your podcast, exclamation point. In a Thanks. previous episode, you mentioned the probability of getting a 177 after guessing. I crunched the numbers and thought you might be interested. Uh, this was a question about, hey, what are my chances of getting a 177? Someone was had gotten a, a 177. Yeah, they got it. They, were, they like, were worried it was a fluke, right? It was like, right. Hey, how and much of this was luck? And we said very little. Well, Some, we immediately started saying, well, there is some luck in there yeah. because there's always some luck. I mean, surely some of the questions you thought were 50 fifties, like that's not a good strategy generally, but on one or two, you're going to get stuck where you can't really tell the difference and you kind of just guess. Yeah. But not okay. very many of them, if you're getting a 177 and we were chatting about that and Carl went ahead and did the math for us. Okay. So the first version assumes one gets all the attempted questions correct kind of a big assumption, but okay. Then randomly guesses on the remaining 20, uh, sorry, on the remaining questions, 20% chance. So looking at the table, if we're yep. looking at 177 specifically, yep. even if you knew 40 of the questions and then randomly guessed, you would still have a 0% chance of scoring 177. Even wow. if you knew the answer to 50 of the questions or 55 or 60 of the questions, and randomly guessed on the remaining, you would still have a 0% chance of scoring a 177. Wow. Yeah. If you know 65 of the questions, and by the way, this is on the May 2020 LSAT. If you knew 65 of the questions and guessed 65 on the remaining 10. of the 75. Yeah. 75 yeah. questions. Yep. 75 questions. If you knew 65 of them and guessed on the remaining 10, you would have a 0.1% chance of getting a 177. Yeah. If you knew 70 of them and randomly guessed on the rest, then you would have a 10% chance of getting a 177. But if you so, know 70 of them, you're already getting a 173, even if you get zero of your guesses correct. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, that confirms what we already kind of suspected. There is probably some chance in there, but it's a very, very small portion of your final score. Yeah. You're not scoring that high. I mean, you're not even scoring 170 through random luck. See, 170, you had to get 67 out of uh, 75, correct? Yeah. But there, you know, until you know 60 of them, 
60 out of 67. You have to know 60 out of 67 in order to give yourself a 3% chance of getting a 170. 3%. Yeah. And you have a one in a million if you get 50 of them. Yeah. <laughs> These numbers change slightly in the second chart. Okay. So let me read this. It says the second version assumes one eliminates a few answers before guessing, giving yourself a 50% chance. So that means you have to do perfect on the ones you attempt. And then on the ones you guess, you're still doing some work. Yeah. And that's going to take a lot of time. I mean, it's like, it's just a real bad strategy. Um, you'll see here that it doesn't actually like really positively impact your chances. Go back to the 177 thing. Yeah. Uh, so if you, again, if you know the four, first 40 of your 75 questions and you get them right, you still have a 0% chance of getting a 177. If you know 45 of the 75 questions, even with this added benefit, you're still only have a one in a million chance of getting a 177. Yeah, it doesn't turn to 1% until you get until to 60. To 60, yeah. And even at 65, so you knew 65 out of the 73. Yeah. And you and you narrowed the remaining eight down to 50-50s. You still only have an 11% chance as compared to 0.1% chance with a 177. I think the takeaway there is that narrowing them down to two really doesn't help you very much. And that stands to reason. I've thought about this a lot. You know, if you don't narrow it down at all, you get one out of five correct. Mm -hmm. If you narrow it down to a 50-50, you get one out of two correct. But one out of five, that's 0.2, right? Two tenths yeah. of a point. One out of two is only 0.5. Yeah. Half a point. We've talked about this before. Narrowing it down to a 50-50 is worth three tenths of a point. Like you have to narrow three of them down accurately to 50-50s. To get one more to point. Get, to get 0.9 of a point. Or you could get one of them right <laughs> and get one point and still get to randomly guess on the other two. So 50-50s suck. Y'all, I mean, you might have learned from Kaplan or elsewhere that that's Princeton. I mean, I remember those guys on the Gladwell podcast who had been at Princeton Review saying that, oh, yeah, on the reading comp, you don't have time to actually read it. You should just skim it. And then on the questions, you're just looking to narrow them down to two. Yeah, that's such bullshit. That's the worst tip I've ever heard. And this I, Carl's analysis here, I think, makes that clear. You yeah. just you'd rather get one right than have three 50 50s. So fucking slow down and get them right. It's literally worth more. Getting one right is significantly more valuable than three 50 50s. Yeah. Wait, is it more than four 50 50s? Well, three 50 50s, you have increased your expectation from guesses to point. So you're at point nine. No, sorry, you're at. You're at, you're at a total of 1.5 with three 50-50s. Okay. But with one correct and two guesses, you're at 1.4. When you say 1.4, points? Yeah, because you're still going to get a 0.2, one out of five on the other ones that you didn't narrow down. Okay. So there it's actually better. It's better to have three 50-50s than it is to have one right and two random guesses. Mm. But... <laughs> Man, 
But as soon as you, but if you get two of those right and you give up on the last one, it becomes a random guess. You're already well, at two point two, which yeah. is astronomically higher than one point four. Yeah, and one right, one fifty fifty, and one random guess is worth one point seven. So you definitely would rather do that than have three fifty fifties. Yeah, it fifty fifties are bad. Is my point? Like you might have one of them or two well, of them here, here, per test. A- it's just not a good idea. There's so much more here, too. You have to think about the time it takes to get to 50-50. To actually well, get to 50 yeah. to get to get to 50-50, it's hard. Yeah. You, you should have enough information to now answer it. So Right. Well, also, you've done the hardest part of the work. Now it's just a matter of picking the right one instead of the wrong one. And the right one is right for reasons. And the wrong one is wrong for reasons. And you should be able to narrow it down from the 50-50 to a I'm getting this one right. Yeah. So it's that, you know, that 15 seconds at the end, it's the last 15 seconds where you're actually going to find it. Yeah. You know, it's like looking for your car keys. It's always the last place you look. If you stop looking, you don't find it. You have to keep looking on these questions on the LSAT. I mean, it's just I would rather have random guesses I think your odds of getting, well, okay, so let's look at 177 again. If you know 70 of them and then randomly guess, you've got a 10% chance. Or you could know 65 of them and narrow all of the remaining questions to 50-50s, and that gives you an 11% chance. I think it's way easier to solve five more of them, like solve solve five more of those 50-50s. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, hey, I want to talk about variance here for a second. So yeah. this this data assumes that you have a zero percent chance of getting any of the first set of questions wrong, which is <laughs> wrong, right? It's not zero. It's not like you have a zero percent chance of getting the first sixty questions in, in each section all right. Yeah. But even if we assume that, right, you can see that, uh, like, for example, let's stick with one seven. Well, let's go to one seventy four. So if you if you're out of one seventy four and you get 70 of them correct. Right. So that means you'd get a one seventy three for sure. Now you have a 74% chance of getting a 174. So you have a you have a 74% chance of getting a higher score from guessing, right? Like, I guess what I'm saying is you could get the 173 or you could get the 174. There's a big chance of either of these things happening. And if you yeah. in, if you add in the fact that these first 70 questions didn't have a zero percent chance of of failure, there's, there's some percentage chance of failure, you're going to have variability throughout. And so now these things are going to swing up and down. That's just yeah. why scores swing. That's all. I don't know. It's kind of a stupid point, but yeah. Carl said he used a binomial distribution analysis, but he's not a statistician. And that's where he's getting these numbers from the 74% or whatever it is. But right. There are other sources of variance that make it even wilder swings yeah. one way or the other. This is just one of the sources. Random guessing is one of your sources of variance, but there are yeah. many. Cool. All right. Is that about enough of us for today? <laughs> I think so. 
<laughs> you can be LSAT famous. Uh, get on an upcoming show by visiting our website, thinkinglsat.com. We've got a uh, form there that you can use to ask questions, share news, whatever you want to do. If you have questions about the LSAT demon or want to work with the LSAT demon help team, you can email help at lsatdemon.com. Check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 379 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Thank you.